Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales. It's lovely to welcome you if you've been here before. If you're not, then hello. The way this works is we start off with a story. And then once we've had the story, there's a little bit of conversation about why the story is the way it is, some of the folklore in the story, and then the food in the story afterwards. This week, our story is Billy Biter and the Round Parking. It's taken from a collection of folk tales collected by Ruth Tongue called The Forgotten Folk Tales of the English Counties. I think you can probably guess what food we'll be talking about, but in the meantime, if you're listening comfortably, I'll begin. Now this is a tale that young Charlie used to tell, and he heard it from his father, and his father heard it from his grandfather, and his grandfather heard it from his great-grandfather, and so on. So, it might not be true, but it also might be real. There was once a dragon who lived in a deep gully, and no one else wanted to live near him, except old Mrs Greenaway, in a cottage in the woods above him. She was a, well gifted woman. She had a way with warts and other similar things, and so maybe she had a way with a dragon. Anyway, up there she stayed, safe and sound, and down there he stayed, getting hungrier and hungrier. As the farmers, sensibly, had moved back along over the hill to the village with all their stock. The hill grazing was rich there, but no one with any sense let their beasts fatten to feed a dragon. To be honest, even a sturdy farmer might have been a good snack. On the other side of the gully, right at the top of the hill, lived Billy Biter, a travelling tailor. And people kept telling Billy that it was really dangerous to live there. They all liked Billy, and they didn't like his wife, Hepzibah. And not one single good word did they have for her. And her, well, I suppose we can call it hip flask. Billy's cottage had been the most welcoming in the parish while his old mother still lived. Everyone around used to go up visiting up the hill. There was always a kettle on by boiling, ready to go boil on the fire and a big log burning in the hearth and Tomcat washing himself in the chimney corner. They brought in logs and carried fresh water in for her when Billy was away on his tailoring and everyone believed Mrs Greenaway kept an eye on the dear old soul as well. The cottage was beautiful while she lived but when she died things became very different. A man needs a home to come back to after a long day's work. So poor Billy, he went and married Hepzibah, and everyone said she definitely terrified him into it. He was any little, as kind as they come, and she was six foot and thin. And, well, she had some difficult habits. That hip flask wasn't full, always full, and didn't stay full for long. And people reckoned she only married Billy, because the cottage wasn't half a mile down to the inn, and every day Hepzibah would come staggering back to get her hip flask filled, and if she got back home, well, it was a month's wonder and a miracle. There wasn't any fire until Billy trudged home with a faggot of wood with him. He'd get water for the kettle and sweep up a bit, and Tom Cat could sit in a warm chimney corner for two or three minutes before Billy took the wheelbarrow and went to look for Hepzibah. There were times when she was fast asleep halfway home, and the hip flask empty beside her, times when she was nearly home, not such a troublesome load for a tired small man, and there were times when she was already home, a sprawl in old Mrs Biter's rocking chair that Hepzibah had sat right through the seat of, and then Billy, 
and Tom Cat went tiptoe while they kept one eye open on her in case she moved. When she moved her foot, they were out the door and up the roof where she was too idle to reach. And there they sat the whole night, cuddled to the chimney, just for a bit of warmth. People talked, and Billy went on the same way, too tired to do anything about it, until one day he met Mrs Greenway. Where's your pay, Billy? she said. And somehow, Billy wasn't quite sure how, he just gave it over, and she gave him silver sixpence back. That'll be all down Hepsiford's throat by tomorrow, she said. Get this bite of bread and cheese inside you. And Billy Biter went home feeling fine. He gave Hepsiford a sixpence and joined Tomcat up against the chimney. Hepsiford were too handy with a broom handle for comfort, and she could run far too fast for his little legs. By and by, there was no smoke up the chimney, and the cottage windows were dark, and old Mrs Greenway noted it. And the dragon below gave a big groan because he was so hungry, but he didn't stir out for all that. The next night was the same. Hepzibah was sprawled across the threshold, so Billy went up on the roof to join Tomcat and sat there in the rain, and Mrs Greenaway noted that too, and the dragon gave her another hollow groan, but he didn't stir either. The third night they gave Billy a really good tea at the farm before sending him on his way, and he kept back a bit of his tea in his pocket for Tomcat, but the farmer's wife, she had her own notions. They were all fond of him. He'd been such a merry little soul. He could sing at his work and dance and laugh like a pixie. So now she packed him a big load of good food. If Hepsiburg can't trouble herself to cook them, you can find a time and place, she said. And the farmer bound a big load of wood for the fire atop. It isn't as heavy as a wheelbarrow load, he said. And watched Billy go into the fog, looking like a walking snail. Slow or not, Billy made good time until he smelled something so good. It somehow made him go out of his way and ended up in Mrs Greenaway's wood. She came to her door. Come on in, Billy Biter. You and your good food and your firewood. Perhaps if I won't be wanting them, hand them over. Well, she was old and she'd been good to his mother, but it was cruel hard to go hungry as Billy well knew, but for all that, he handed over the load. But Mrs Greenaway, she didn't trouble herself to undo it. She just shook out like something like flour over it. I've been baking, she said. Can you smell my parkin? Parkin, according to Charlie, is a big square ginger Yorkshire cake. He doesn't really think much of gingerbread. He said parkin should be square and sticky. He does eat enough of the ordinary gingerbread, though. But Billy could smell nothing else but Mrs Greenaway's parkin, and nor could the hungry dragon far below in the gully. I'll give you a mouthful to warm your road home. And with that, she cut a huge slice for Billy from the square baking sheet on the hearth. And a bit for Tom, cat, in your pocket. So, you know. And then here, and mind me now, in this corner, this bit here is for Hepzibah alone. No one else. You and Tom, cat, you've already got yours. She broke off the large corner, wrapped it up in clean leaves and laid it on top of the load. Remind me, she said. Now, remember, this is for Hepzibah only. Not for you, not for Tomcat. So, mind now, go on your way and sleep well. And out Billy went, full of good food, and with a big wedge of warm parking to nibble on his trudge home. He was even full of hope that Hepsiburg might take a fancy to a hot meal, and cook one. And so, it was no wonder that misty, moisty night he stepped right over the edge of the dragon's gully, and down he went, head over heels, almost right down into the gully. He handed on his load, which was softer than all the oven-hot rock down there, 
and up against a big red light that blinked. That's my eye you're poking your firewood in, said the dragon. Let's have a proper look about what I'm going to eat on. Poor Billy's knees just clattered and he dropped his wedge of parking right in front of the dragon. Out came a big, hot, wet tongue and golloped it. While even Tom Cat half a mile up the hill could hear the clatter of Billy all a tremble below. But the parking just wouldn't gollop. It stuck to the dragon's teeth and he found its welcome as flowers in May. What do you call this? He sighed as it stuck to his teeth. Parking? said Billy, all shaking in a cold sweat. Even even that, his lady was beginning to scorch gently for the heat from the rocks that the dragon had fired. Right, then go back, said the dragon, and get me some more, sneezing out a crumb that was tickling his gullet. That sneeze, fair blue, Billy Biter clean out of the gully and atop of Tom Cat by the coal cottage chimney, and the rope on his load was so scorched that it broke, and down inside the chimney tumbled the whole load onto the dying embers. Just about missed Hepzibah's head where she lay all asprawl, her shoes untied, her skirts a tatter, and her hip flask lying alongside her. The smell of her corner of the parking that had fallen from the load made her nose twitch, and she sat up to gobble it. And then she got up and kipped the firewood, which was beginning to catch and crackle a bit. You come down here, Billy, she yelled at the chimney, drawing and throwing cake at your poor wife. What is it? Parking? said Billy, coming down carefully. Tom Cat didn't stir, not him. Parking? yells Hatsabar. I'll show you how to bake parking. And she did too. Billy was kept constantly on the working, filling the pig trough with a dough. She kicked it and trampled it until it was ready to use. And Tom Puss, that's it, it's Tom Cat watched down the chimney in between the smoke. She, she's got a great big dollop of dough on a baking sheet, so long and round as a wagon wheel, and it's still rising. Parkins are square. Even cats knew that. I'm hiding here. When it's cooked, we'll see, said Hatsaba. Believe it or not, in two minutes, that big round parking was baked and smelling rich and strange. Billy took to the roof and Hatsaba hauled a huge round out of the blaze without a burn to it. I'll show you the brew men, shrieked Hepsiba when I come back from showing that old witch how to bake parking. And she tumbled over a shoelace and out of the door. She lost one shoe. She lost another. And then she lost the big round parking. And it went bowling and rolling down towards the gully where the dragon was still waiting, hopefully. And Hepsiba staggered after it, yelling like a flock of crows. All the village came out to see what the noise was about. They saw Billy's cottage lit up. They saw the big round parking bouncing and dancing down the road. They saw Hepzibah run right over the edge of Gully and they heard the dragon give it a gollop as he swallowed her. That wasn't very tasty, he said. And then a big round parking that had been spinning and wagging on the edge above the thing plumped down right in front of his nose. Oh, said the dragon, and bit into it so heartily that he couldn't say any more. And he never did again on the fact that his teeth were stuck so he couldn't even snort. When everyone saw what had come of it, they all run for sledgehammers and pitchforks and axes and anything sharp they could find on the end of a stick. And then they saw how to get into the gully without being fried. That was the problem. But the dragon, he settled it for them nicely. He took away down to the sea to wash the big round parking from between his teeth where it was clinging as lovingly as an ivy. Well, the folk followed and they were just in time to see a dragon plop right into the deep water and stick his head under and they ran and gave his nose half a dozen bashes as he stopped his breath and ran back to safety and before the dragon could come to there was a great flight of waves over him and he drowned down to then and there 
when folks came rejoicing back past Billy's cottage, the door was wide open. The house was clean and, clean and tidy. There was food on the table, a kettle on the crook, and Tom Cat washing himself in the chimney corner, and a nice square parking on a baking sheet in front of the fire, and Billy mending the seat of the rocking chair. And I don't doubt Mrs Greenaway saw all of that too. Apparently, those dragon's bones turned into a long stretch of folk, rock that folk up there call Viley Brig. But you know, I've never heard of them. And that, gentle listener, is the end of my tale. I hope it pleased you, for it had no other purpose. So, what did you think of this? Did you feel sorry for the dragon, or for Hepzibah, or were you firmly on the side of Billy and the cat? Hepzibah certainly demonstrated some abusive behaviours, and Billy was treated very badly. In our century, we might perhaps have tried to get her some help, considering her actions to be as a result of her addiction. But this is not a tale of our times, so we probably shouldn't judge her punishment too harshly. harshly. I'm a big fan of the wise woman in the tale, and I wonder how much magic was in that piece of parking for Hepzibah. I suspect there wasn't any, but that her recipe was so good she knew it would infuriate Hepzibah into trying to make a better one. There is some controversy about this tale, where this tale comes from. It was officially collected by Ruth Tongue in 1967 um, from a groom who heard it in 1905, but there was no proof of this and some people consider that Ruth was not as careful in collecting as she should have been. Some experts believe she embellished the tales she heard and retold them in her own style. Some even believe she invented some of the tales that she said she collected. It's difficult to prove either way as she explained that many of her notes were lost in a house fire. You can read more about the controversy in the Writing in the Margins blog. The link will be in the show notes. What's not in question, however, is her absolutely wonderful ability as a storyteller. I decided to do a little investigation around the tale itself to find it to see if I could find any other similar tales from the area, told by other people, that might suggest the tale was collected, even if it was embellished. There are a couple of other local stories, both centering around the dragon and parking. One is very similar, but uses the tale to establish how Parkin was named after Ralph Parkin, who uses his wife's Parkin to destroy the dragon in a similar fashion. The other tale seems to be an amalgam of both, with Billy Biter being described as a nickname for Ralph Parkin. There seems to be enough doubt around the source of the tales that we can at least give Ruth Tongue the benefit of the doubt. Interestingly, there is another tale of the origin of Filey Brig, which involves the devil, a hammer, and the naming of the fish haddock, it lacks the structure of our tale and is very simplistic, but you can decide which local legend you prefer. In my hunt for tales around Filey Brig, I was fascinated to discover the richness of dragon lore in Yorkshire. There are several wonderful tales of dragons, or, as they were known in the county, worms, a name taken from the Norse Ulm, a serpent or dragon. The tales include the Nunnington or Loshy Worm, the Sexhow Worm, the Handale Worm, the Cannington Worm and the Slingsby Serpent. As you would expect, the dragon, or worm, is defeated. But there are only two actual happy endings from those tales. One involves that of an anonymous passing knight who deals with a serpent and then goes on his way, refusing all thanks and refreshments. I assume he was happy anyway. Clearly he enjoyed anonymity. The other happy ending is traditional. The hero gets the damsel, who's been captured by the dragon, inherits the local manor and becomes a wealthy landowner. However, should any of you wish to take up what can clearly be a rewarding career, I must add the disclaimer that three out of these five tales did not have a happy ever after. They were also all accompanied by dogs who assisted them. 
in some cases did most of the work. I won't share all the details, but all the dogs sadly passed away either from their wounds or from broken hearts from the death of their owners. Dragon slaying is not for everybody. There are even some tombstones or memorials to these heroes in local churches. In the churchyard at Callington, there's a stone placed horizontally, which may have been the cover of a stone coffin, into which is cut what appears to be a cross, and on the right side of it a man with clasped hands, a dog at his feet. There are also some indecipherable marks which may have represented a serpent. This stone is supposed to have represented the shepherd hero in the tale of Callington Worm. In Nunnington Church, there's a tomb of a knight, Walter de Taves, with an effigy of him lying with his feet on a small lion. Locally, this is believed to represent Sir Peter Loshi and his dog. There is another church effigy which shows a cross-legged knight with a dog at the church at Slingsby. Yorkshire is clearly a place for dragons and tales of their downfall. So maybe our parking tale arose naturally from other local dragon tales, but some finely local folklore has twisted itself into the tale. There was enough information available that local historian Kath Wilkie investigated the finely dragon for some time. It certainly seems that communities want to be associated with those brave and sometimes tragic heroes. As Jacqueline Simpson says in her book, British Dragons, that the lord of the manor should be descended from a dragon slayer, that a dragon should once have roamed these very fields, or, best of all, that an ordinary lad from this very village should have outwitted and killed such a monster, these are claims to fame which any neighbouring community would be bound to envy, and even, when no one believes the story any longer, it still can function as a kind of mascot, laughed at yet loved, giving its name to pubs and carefully passed on in local guide. Right, we have yet to look at the other element in the tale, the parking itself. Traditional Yorkshire parking is a gorgeously sticky, soft gingerbread cake made with oats, treacle and spices. It is at its best if allowed to mature for several days after baking. It's traditionally eaten on bonfire night, best on a cold, damp night with a scent of wood smoke all around. It's also believed earlier versions were eaten to celebrate Celtic seasonal celebrations around this time. It doesn't have a folklore of its own specifically, but gingerbread in general does have some. It used to be believed that certain shapes were charmed. Heart shapes were for love, rabbit shapes were to increase fertility. If you could persuade the man of your dreams to eat the gingerbread man that had been baked for him, then your happy ever after was practically signed and sealed. According to Betty's of Harrogate, the first mention of it by name can be found in court records from 1728, where one Anne Whitaker was accused of stealing oatmeal to make it. I sadly couldn't find any evidence of this, but I'm reluctant to disbelieve such a prestigious culinary institution. Officially, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the first written mention of it is in 1800 by Dorothy Wordsworth, where she noted in a journal that she was baking bread, dinner and parkins. It's believed to derive from thar cake, and it retained that known for longer in Lancashire, Derbyshire and South Yorkshire, and is still called that by some. Thar cake, or Thor's cake, dates back much further than parkin, which only became possible really once treacle was available. Alan Davison and the Oxford Companion to Food suggests it may be derived from an older, honey-sweetened oat bread. I thought I should pursue a historical recipe for us, and at long last I found one. The closest I could get to 1800 was 1838, in The Practice of Cookery by Mrs Dalgans. There must have been earlier recipes, but possibly because this was a food of the people, maybe it just didn't wake its way into earlier books. And it's also perfectly possible that I just wasn't looking in the right place. This one does sound delicious, but I think it would turn out a bit more like flapjacks rather than the modern oven-baked, soft, delicious, sticky cake. 
There were no exact cooking directions, but I imagine you'd need to leave it overnight for the oats to swell, so you'd have a mixture you could shape into cakes. Then you would cook them on a griddle or bake stone. There's a link to the particular recipe for parking in the show notes. It turns out that there is a wonderful book called Parkin, A Ginger Cake to Remember by Anne Fencott, who is pursuing a recipe her mother used to use. She did huge amounts of research and testing to recreate that perfect taste. If you'd like to immerse yourself in Parkin up to your ears, then I heartily recommend giving it a read. It's available for free on the internet and the link is in further reading. However, we should probably get to our recipe that we're going to use. I admit that Felicity's Cloak's recipe from the Guardian Perfect series is the best recipe. I've reproduced the recipe um, on the blog, and so obviously the link to it will be in the show notes. In case you want to find out all about the process and the research she did to create the recipe. It's really interesting. I'd highly recommend her perfect book as well. So, that's it for us for this week, I think. If you've enjoyed this, please go and give me five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other people to find the podcast and then they can listen to it. But if not, you can just come back next week and enjoy, oh sorry, the week after next and enjoy another episode. There is one thing I'd like to say that this week I have a bonus episode. It's a really wonderful interview with Taffy Thomas, a wonderful storyteller who has launched a new book called The Storyteller's Supper. If you subscribe to this podcast, you should have also received that one automatically. If not, you might have to go and download it separately and listen to it. I really would. It's such a wonderful book and the interview is lovely. Taffy even tells a couple of stories in the interview himself. So that's it for this episode. I will look forward to seeing you or I suppose hearing from you next time. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at Fairy Tales Food on both Twitter and Instagram or hestierskitchen.co.uk and you can get hold of me via the comments forms there. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales. <laughs>